little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. ToddCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoyne. How about a little good news? And by the way, did you ever think of the possibility of somebody opening up a news station where they only tell good news? None of the garbage at all? Only the good human interest stories of the wonderful unsung heroes and heroines that are doing just the small stuff really great every day? for their families, all the little things that are being done to take the kids home from school and spending some time with their homework rather than the ball game on TV and no doubt be there for them at the ball games and always be ready to defend their honor when it's being challenged, their very identities being challenged in our school systems. Yes, sirree. There's a lot of those stories that have yet to be told because, of course, the age-old news media doesn't want to tell good stories, which is three-quarters of the reason why we're in the boat that we're in over the last few years. These mega-monopoly, big-monster, New World Order corporations that own all the news agencies, uh, they've had a dominant monopoly over the airwaves for how many decades now? No wonder the devil is, like, at your kitchen table, having come in through the living room. Well, all I can say is, try it, and, or as Feel the Dreams, the movie might say, build it and they will come. I dare somebody out there to start the news revolution, the good news revolution. Build a news station and give the devil nothing. Don't give him his due. Pay no attention to the wickedness of the stories that are out there, no doubt. He exists, but completely ignore him. In the spirit of St. Teresa of Avila, when he showed up at her bedside and she said, Oh, it's you. I gotta go to sleep tonight. Let's just tell all of the godly stories that are happening every day in your local neighborhood, your county, your state, indeed, our country. And it will overwhelm the dominance of the evil one over those airwaves. Because nobody will tune in the opposite wicked point of view anymore. I am so utterly convinced of it, it's never been done. You know, even in my years as an undergraduate going back to BC in the 70s again, my first internship was at the local radio station on the college campus. And I could tell right then and there I wasn't going to last very long because everybody in the newsroom wanted to take all the garbage stories and sensationalize them to the max. I mean, that was that was the whole attitude on the part of the people that went into that field. Thank the Lord for Mother Mary Angelica is all I can say. But anyway, I just wanted to tell you about, even though it's post-Easter a little bit, but Easter is every day if you 
choose to make it so. But during the course of the Easter season, I had a marvelous experience, which I just quickly wanted to share. And then I'll, uh, I also want to make some comment on a movie that I just finished watching tonight, and maybe two movies for that matter, and then we'll get on with our book review, You Shall Stand Firm, with Father William Casey. So, during this past Easter season, I had just one marvelous day, actually two. (laughs) It started with a beautiful Easter Celtic concert. It was the weekend of Divine Mercy Sunday, and I was uh, not... Five minutes getting ready into it all. The president of Chevers High School, of Jesuit Prep School up in Portland, Maine, where I used to teach in the late 1990s, was uh, greeting me to sit in the front row, Father John Keegan. And I was very much on the invite anyway of a Jesuit family member that we did not know anything about for years, but indeed Father Joseph Duffy, S.J., former vice president of Boston College, for many, many years under J. Donald Mona and S.J., was there to be found in Drummond, Ireland with our cousins. I told them that I had gone to Ireland way back in the late 1980s and ran into a gentleman in Drummond, which was where my grandmother's people were from, on my mother's side, Julia Duffy. And didn't I meet out there in Drummond, Peter Duffy. And doesn't Father Joe tell me, Peter Duffy's my cousin. <laughs> so, in any event, he's only 95 and quick as a whip. Told me he spends much of his time helping Jesuits into their retirement, i.e., he's still working. And still driving his car. Indeed. Ad me horum de glorium, the motto of the Jesuits. All for the greater glory of God. And then, as I was playing a beautiful song, an Irish ditty, May the Road Rise to Meet You. And I took them on a little tour of my ministries through the years with Jesuits from prep schools to parishes from East Coast to West Coast. And they loved the little storytelling of my being with some of these friends of theirs, I'm sure. I told them about Father John Brady, who reminded me of Father Joe Duffy. He was riding his bicycle on the Loyola High School track in Los Angeles every morning at 5 a.m. at 95. I had seen him in his early 80s prior to that, and he was walking fearlessly through some ever-so-dangerous streets of East Los Angeles. He was the quintessential Jesuit, fearless. I had immediately referred to Father Miles Fay, the very first Jesuit that I had as a professor at Boston College in the 1970s. And uh, speaking about the goal of a good theology course is to build up your faith. And if it doesn't, it's not worth a hill of beans. (laughs) That is embedded in my psyche forever. And then there was Father John Michalowski, who I used to do many retreats with uh, going back to the Chevres High School. And then there was Father Carl Laubacher, a wonderful organist and pastor of Our Lady of Sorrows Parish in Santa Barbara, California. I was the director of youth ministry out there. And then I was ready to finish up with the story about my first trip to Ireland in 1980 as part of an Irish art and literature course on the invite of a Jesuit, Father Joseph Appleyard, the chairman of the English department. And lo and behold, I had no idea, but (laughs) doesn't his hand go up (laughs) 
<laughs> in the back of the audience with a big beaming smile and God bless him because didn't he take a stroke not so long ago and he cannot talk so I would ask for prayers for Father Joe but he's uh, sharp and uh, he was ever overjoyed to see me he came up to me in his wheelchair afterwards and stayed with me for about 20 minutes even though he couldn't he could get a few words out but we had kind of a dialogue and it was precious. Years earlier, he had invited me to lunch down at BC, and I, at the time, had just concocted my vision for Fairways to Faith and using golf for evangelization as I shared that vision with many of the Jesuits at lunchtime at St. Mary's Hall at BC. These are the kind of things, it's not all about apologetics, is it? God is to be found by the very attributes of God himself, truth, beauty, and goodness. And that's one of the reasons I try to go beyond my radio ministry with a music ministry. And I must say, there, there can't be anything more effective as a direct injection of love. I thought that concert was special, as I would call it, for the ages. Uh, being able to play for many familiar faces, there were other Jesuits in the audience that I definitely recognized. I didn't have them in, in class but they were mostly all from Boston College uh, going back to those 1970s. So you've heard me refer to that time period. I did feel that I was a little bit on a missionary journey <laughs> and uh, hoping if any of them might. And don't think, ladies and gentlemen, that priests don't lose their faith over time. With all the pressures upon them, it is a distinct possibility and temptation uh, of the evil one. Um, so I hope we brought an injection of faith and joy that day. I know we did, and uh, I'll never forget it. It was a, just a wonderful, wonderful Easter day. And I did realize that that faith was very much alive as one particular song seemed to grab them more than any of the others. It was a very unique one called The Seven Joys of Mary, and it was put to the melody of the Star of County Down, and they were mesmerized by that one. So uh, check that one out. The musician Lorena McKennett has sung that very beautifully. And given the fact that I haven't been in the music arena for almost three years now, uh, for obvious reasons with the pandemic and then pneumonia after that, it, it was a, a very wonderful comeback. It wasn't the first comeback, that really took place on the Feast of St. Patrick with the Oblates of Mary Immaculate. So just let me know what special feast day might be coming up for you, your friends, or your family, and we will tailor that music accordingly. So in any event, I like giving my movie commentary from time to time from a theological perspective as I've accumulated a 30-year library of great, great movies. I just finished also 42 in honor of the season we're in, in honor of Jackie Robinson. And that is just spectacular on breaking down those racial barriers that he did single-handedly at the time, being the first black major league ball player, taking on a hero's role for sure. And did I not have the unbelievable pleasure and honor of meeting him in the seventh grade as my dad and myself were at a football game on the part of my brother Jim and uh, his son was playing for the opposing team. It was a JV game. It was during the weekday and I had no clue uh, who this fellow was, but dad was darn sure to make sure I shook his hand. What a great memory that is. And do see that movie. 
it's spectacular. But I just finished in the light of the times in which we're in where the devil seems to be on display, which is always a good thing. You know, that movie Nefarious is kind of the rage right now. And here's kind of an old movie that was much more on the fun side, but spoke to the very strong age-old theological concepts regarding the devil. Oh God, you devil, with George Burns. It's from back in the 80s, I believe, but it's a great fun movie. And it'll just teach you those profound truths about the spiritual life, spiritual warfare. You know, Father Ripperger goes off in a beautiful, wonderful way. He is a gift to the church like no other uh, relative to real concrete experiences of the demons by way of exorcism, etc. But this is a more comical, fun look at the dynamic of the devil at work in our lives. And in this particular movie, it's all about a musician that is just scraping by and trying to get to the next gig. And he's got a wife and he'd like to have a child on the way. And he's worried about the finances and whether they're going to be there, etc. And uh, he, he seems like he's up against the real roadblock because he's just not not making the kind of dough that he thinks he should make for his talent. And he does that worst possible thing of all that anyone ever could do by kind of whispering, I'd sell my soul to the devil to make it in this business. And lo and behold, the devil heard him. And so the devil comes into his life as an agent, as an entertainment agent, and promises him the world, just like he did to Jesus in the desert, right? And uh, so he goes aboard and ends up leaving his wife and engaging in the promiscuous frivolity of a hardcore rock star, etc., all that we've heard about before. And it makes him what? Miserable and suicidal. Just what the devil wants for all of us. And Lo and behold, thankfully, uh, the father of this rock star, his name was Bobby. Bobby's father at the beginning of the movie uh, uttered a prayer when uh, Bobby was a very little boy and very sick. And uh, he sang a little song about uh, the horse can do. And God heard that prayer and he he was dedicated to honoring his father by helping Bobby to get his old self back. And bing, bang, boom, God comes into the picture, and they end up, God and the devil, playing poker for the soul of Bobby. It's a classic scene in movie history, I have the feeling, and they're uh, playing cards against each other, trying to trick one another. It's well done, ladies and gentlemen, but more importantly, it gives you a beautiful sense of being content with the ordinary things of life and not trying to reach for the stars and be more than you are, but to accept the good things that God has given you, especially by way of a spouse and children. And unfortunately, we are constantly thinking about more. We've got to get more. And we won't have that child until we have more, all right? And uh, that thus you have your demographic winter that is upon us with hardly any children out there, all right? It's just beautiful. And it also uh, gives you a, a, a wonderful, in terms of spiritual warfare, the sense that the devil doesn't come with horns. I've said that so many times through the years. He, he looks like God. As God says to Bobby at the end of the movie, you know, he looks like me, he talks like me, but I'm me. So, you know, devil is trying to be God. And what is it that people that want to control us, what do they want to do? 
They want to be God. You know, what's been happening over the last three years to our country? A lot of people with a lot of cash want to be God. And they've got the ability to control us in big ways. So uh, it's an age-old story, and it has everything to do with building that Tower of Babel uh, that we've heard more than enough about, or the golden calf uh, during the Exodus times. Uh, Human nature has a a proclivity, without question, to want to be God, and only God is God. Now let us begin our book review. On the other side, this is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Let us not forget the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus next Friday. And this is a beautiful rendition called To Be in Your Presence by the group Celtic Expressions Instrumental Worship. And it used to be said anyway that in Ireland you couldn't go in a home or a business without a picture of our Lord's Sacred Heart. So we are in chapter 10, and you shall stand firm by Father William Casey, the title, What Do You Know About Marriage? And he is usually spot on in his analysis, as he says now, in the church, the family must be a place where the gospel is transmitted and from which the gospel radiates to other families and to the whole of society. The church is an immense family on a mission of love and life. Can I say that one more? What a great sentence that is. The church is an immense family, i.e., not just yours, on a mission of love and life. We are living in a moment of history in which the family is the object of numerous forces that seek to destroy it. The devil has a noticeably clear, timeless plan of attack, divide and conquer. His strategy is to destroy marriages, tear families apart, and drag as many souls down into hell as possible. Gee, now, think about 
some of the crazy issues that we're debating <laughs> that, that people in a, only maybe 15 years ago, right, would be scratching their head and saying, are you kidding me? Non-binary restrooms now have two icons, male and female, soon probably a third. There we are, right, at, in such a godless time. And what is the goal of the devil himself? You know that to get people divided over human sexuality is to rip apart the family. And that is exactly what woke is all about. In order to bring about the communist complete takeover. He goes on. This is why the devil is always trying to drive a wedge between the husband and the wife. I always use the analogy of the wedge. The devil tries one blow at a time, little by little. How does he do it? Through pride, selfishness, envy, impatience, anger, infidelity, and lack of charity. Now think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Is one of those virtually happening every day in any marriage out there? And what if you hold on to it and put it on steroids, as opposed to saying you're sorry and putting it behind you as a couple? The devil will use any and all means necessary to destroy the marriage in a family. Right now, he is literally doing one hell of a job, quote-unquote. I wonder if you are aware of the fact that adultery is by far the leading cause of marital and family breakups in the United States. The late Bishop Thomas Doran of Rockford, Illinois, who was truly one of the finest canonists of our time, often said that in America today, adultery is so commonplace that it has taken on the status of an indoor sport. A newspaper reporter recently wrote a series on marital infidelity, and he anonymously interviewed a group of American GIs who were coming out of a Mexican brothel. He asked one GI who was 30 years old with a young wife at home and married less than two years why he would cheat on his spouse. The GI told him, you know, we're just down here looking for a good time. We're just trying to have some fun. We're all human. It's going to happen. You know everybody's doing it nowadays, and it's not hurting anybody. The next question was, do you think your wife would see it that way? No answer. Adultery is a cold-blooded killer. It kills marital love. It kills the mutual trust between spouses. And it kills the life of grace in souls. It is not just a sin of lust. It is a grave sin of injustice toward the spouse who is betrayed. It is essentially an act of betrayal. Psychologist and family therapist Frank Pittman said that adultery is the primary disruptor of families and the most dreaded and devastating experience in marriage. That having been said, couples need to remember that one of the devil's favorite tricks is to get you to fight with each other, to get you at each other's throats. If he cannot find the big things to get you stirred up, he'll try to use the little things, the lesser and petty things, to do it. If the two of you do not pray together, and if God is not the third partner in your marriage, the devil will set you up for conflict especially if you make the fatal mistake of expecting perfection from your spouse. The molehills in a relationship gradually become mountains. Here are just some of those molehills. He leaves the bathroom a mess. She ran up too big a bill on the credit card. Supper is not ready on time. The in-laws are mean and they're not nice to me, so I'll take it out on him. She put on a little weight. She's not nearly as attractive to me now, neither is he. There's not enough money coming in, not enough money to keep me in the lifestyle to which I have become accustomed. He or she is not living up to my expectations, and he said the wrong thing. There is constant complaining, criticism, fault-finding, and nitpicking. You are never satisfied. Neither one will apologize. And then comes the dreaded cold shoulder. You don't talk to each other anymore. There is no affection. 
Sex can then be used as a weapon, a tool that can be withheld and used as an instrument for manipulation and punishment. Pride kicks in, and pride is also a killer. It is a deadly poison in marriage. The devil counts on it and plays upon it. Spouses become rivals to each other, and then they become strangers to each other. The fire of spousal love begins to flicker out. Eventually it grows cold and emotional love dies. Charity is eventually lost, and you look back on all of it and wonder how in the world it could have happened. It does not have to be the big things that wreck your marriage. The little things will do it if you let them. Well, that's modern-day marriage on a platter in way too many places. And all I can say is, can you imagine throwing addictions? On top of all of that, whether it be pornography, gambling, and most common, alcoholism, or any kind of substance abuse, that just really throws the gasoline on the fire. Because when you think about it, ladies and gentlemen, how many of these marriages started with the pretext of alcoholism as a given? Indeed. Maybe going back to high school days. Sorry. But cart before the horse, i.e. sex before marriage, chicken or egg, you start getting involved in substance abuse and altering your mind in the process of choosing a soulmate for life. And then you walk down an aisle with the wrong person. Think about the level of immaturity at that age for way too many. And even though the marriage may be valid because you freely consented and were being honest with the other about who you were at that time, it doesn't mean it's going to be a joyride if that maturity in Christ was simply not taken seriously. We need to take seriously marriage preparation so that three hearts, not two, will be united for the long haul. Hers, yours, and his sacred heart. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Have a great week, everyone. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.